Hello and welcome to another lockdown episode of Cash Alumni's podcast. My name's Dawn and I'm the editor of Cash Alumni and this week's guest and um, we have recorded by the magic of technology. Um, so I met you at the Nature Village Show for our audience don't necessarily know you yet. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do? Okay, my name is Heather Maisner and um, I'm a children's writer. I've written over 38 children's books um, for children who are very small from about the age of two picture books to the age of 12 and as well as um, writing the children's books I also teach creative writing to children and I did that all across Hammersmith and Fulham and in Norfolk and I managed to get HarperCollins publishers to publish a series of the children's books in um, Hammersmith. Lovely. And um, so, so what is it that made you want to be a children's writer? How did you end up as this being what you do for a living? Um, well, I was always written. I wrote as a child. Um, I used to hype. I, I come from quite a big family. I'm one of three sisters and it was a very noisy, lively family. My mother was one of eight children and my dad one of four. So we always had so many people coming into the house. So I used to hide away and write. And so I had stuff published in the school magazines when I was young. And when I was 16, I won the Daily Miller, Daily Mirror Children's Literary Competition out of 35,000 entrants. So I always knew I would be a writer, but I didn't know exactly that I would end up writing for children until I had my own children. And that's when I started writing for kids. And, and how different is it writing for kids and adults? What, what is it about writing for children that, that you enjoy so much? I don't know. I think it's the simplicity of it. In fact, writing for children is in some ways harder than writing for adults because you have to, every word has to count and you have to narrow down everything you're saying into a simple version, um, which can be understood and enjoyed by children. So it's quite demanding, but it's such fun seeing the way the children respond and going into schools and having the kids run up to you and say, look, I've read your book or I've done this that, and the other. And so um, it just makes me, yeah, I, I find it now, I find it easier to write simple things. I'm trying to write, I recently I've written a novel for um, young adults, but that, so that was the longest, about 30,000 words. Whereas usually I'm used to writing for about, 300 words sometimes so this is a big challenge to write more words a different kind of challenge as well as being published by um, all the big publishers in the UK I've I recently started publishing my Dinosaur Douglas series of healthy rhyming children's books which I wrote and published myself and they're the ones which I now take into schools. Yeah, and you mentioned reluctant readers earlier on and that that was a, a specific focus that you had for a little while um, because of your yeah, son's relationship with reading. Um, obviously, you're also talking about the way that children react to reading your books and the, the sort of reception that you get when you go into places where children have, have, have read your stories. Um, how important are stories for children? 
Oh, I think it's very important. It lifts you out of your present situation. And given what the situation is now, I think it's more important than ever. To enter the world of different characters helps us all. Stories have been have played an important part in history always. Um, you know, from ancient times when people didn't read, you'd have the storytellers. You've got the Canterbury Tales where people go on long journeys telling stories. So for children, it's like magic. They, you know, they, 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 well, they, they're great actually at making up their own stories, many of them. The fantasy world that you can get into just helps you to live your own lives. So I think it's very important, yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned obviously the current extraordinary circumstances that we face at the moment and how obviously that ability to escape is really important for children. Um, I've actually started reading for pleasure for the first time in a long time um, since we ended up indoors a little bit um, because there is only so much screen time you can face in a day. Um, <laughs> Usually I would be a, a non-fiction reader, I read because I like to find things out. Um, so reading a, a non-fiction book for the first time in years um, has been, a ma I would describe that as a magical experience. It's been really nice to, to immerse myself in a different world and to, to sort of look at things from somebody else's point of view just for the fun of it, rather than to try and understand something that is important and, and, and big. Um, what would you say to any grown-ups who are listening who might feel pressure um, to be productive with their reading? I think um, by going into these other worlds that writers have created, you can then mirror your own world. When you come back to your world, you can just take it at a different pace, I think. Um, and and see that, you know, throughout history and time and in these imaginary worlds, people have dealt with all sorts of problems and found solutions. So whatever seems to be pressing on you now or upsetting you, needn't be seen as your own struggle all alone somewhere. It can be shared. And then also, when you've read the book, if you've enjoyed it, whatever it is, you can talk about it to your friends. You can send a text or on the phone. I mean, we're lucky. We have got communication to other people. You could say to your friend, do you know what X or Y did in this story? And then you could even maybe make up stories together and write your own story about some other world than the world you're hearing about daily on the news. And you can get away from the tension maybe that you're feeling from your parents or the people all around you who may be feeling their own anxieties and worries. So a book is a wonderful entry into somewhere else, which is really, really important now. That, that, that's great. Thanks. Um, that makes perfect sense. And I like the idea of um, people being able to get creative and to, to, to do things that we might not have done because we live in this world of technology. Um, that we now have the opportunity to be a little bit more creative with how we interact and how we socialise and the idea of us creating our own worlds is, is, is great, thank you. Um, you talked about a little bit about the Dinosaur Douglas books there and how you've self-published those um, and that they're slightly different to the, the other books that you've written. Um, what 
can you tell us a little bit more about what they are and, and, and why you thought that they were important? The dinosaur Douglas are all health related. Um, and I started writing them because I met by chance or through someone else, a, a, a paediatric consultant in dentistry who works at the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. And she said to me, what we really need is a children's book that would help children to clean their teeth. Oh, well, I had never thought about the need to clean your teeth. Um, but she told me some frightening statistics, which were that um, one third of five-year-olds and half of eight-year-olds have fillings or missing teeth. And the most common cause of hospital admission in primary school children is dental decay and infection. 26,000 children aged five to nine needed emergency dental surgery in a year. And she was really upset about this and thought that kids need to, to understand the importance of cleaning their teeth. Well, she got me going and I thought, well, there must be a way we can get a book to working for those children. Over time, we met lots of times and talked about all of this and I did loads of research and gradually I started writing and as I wrote the book suddenly became in verse so they ended up with rhyming texts and Dinosaur Douglas was born. But I also knew that because I'd worked in publishing as well as being a children's writer, I have worked in publishing as an editor and a commissioning editor of children and adults books. And I was aware that no publisher was gonna want to print, um, to publish a rhyming children's book about teeth, because I also wanted it to be very uh, inexpensive, uh, the kind of book that people who didn't usually go into bookshops or buy books would wanna buy. Um, so I, I decided the only way to do it was to publish it myself. And I we found a brilliant illustrator called Alex Godwin, who had never illustrated a book before. And we just got together and got on with it. It goes all over the country now. Nurses and dentists have all got involved in the book now. It just begins. Dinosaur Douglas filled mum's trolley with sweets, fizzy drinks, chocolates, a lolly. Mum gave a shout and took everything out. Then once I'd written that and children knew about it, and when I run into schools, when I go into schools, kids run up and say, look, miss, no bugs in my teeth, no bugs. So they're all very happy and they get to know Dinosaur Douglas as a character. So then I went on, um, no, a doctor approached me and said, there's a need for a book about vitamin D. Ricketts was back in the country, was coming back. Children weren't getting enough sunshine. Yeah, I saw that in the news a while ago about um, kids being sort of in the house watching things on TV and playing video games instead of being out playing and, and the impact that was having on, on their ability to absorb vitamin D from sunlight and stay well. Yeah, and that's going to be, unfortunately, what a lot of them are doing now. But, you know, we must encourage them to get out for their one, for one, you know, Make sure they get, as the sun's coming out again, it's a good idea to just get out for some time, even even if you're indoors too much, because it's not your fault. So then I wrote the book called Dinosaur Douglas Has Fun in the Sun, which is about, you can see it, they were, which is all about the need for sunshine. So it 
On the back it said, Dinosaur Douglas loves the sun, but his frail cousins all look glum. They need your help, and so does he. The clues outside, what can it be? And then the kids learn, will learn by reading the book where to get their vitamin D, because it's mostly in the sunshine, but also from oily fish and eggs. And, um, you know, in the winter, you can even have a tablet, a vitamin D tablet to help make sure your bones grow well and you grow up with um, strong and you grow up strong. So that's how I did the second one, which was all about vitamin D. Following that, someone told me the book, which is very important now, which is that the need for children to understand why they should wash their hands to stop the spread of the disease. So two years ago, I wrote Dinosaur Douglas and the Yucky Mucky Fingers, which encourages them to wash their hands and is in great demand at the moment. I think and there's that, a lot of grown-ups that I've met um, over the past couple of years who could do with a, a children's book on the importance of washing their hands. Um, I think it's well, very easy to <laughs> underestimate how many grown-ups tell their children to wash their hands, but are maybe not quite as good at doing that themselves. That's very true. So maybe they're the, this is the one I should read you at the end of this. Yeah, on the back it says, when Dino D doesn't wash his hands, but simply does as he pleases, the yucky mucky bugs all clap their hands and start to spread diseases. And so that one is all about why you need to wash your hands. And um, it does help children to realize the importance of it in a big way and there's a little verse which you which I now realize you can use for your 20 seconds to as you're doing your hands it's when you're bored with singing happy birthday for 20 seconds <laughs> um yeah. so it sounds like um because obviously things like the the book around teeth um and vitamin d and healthy eating um does that mean that through the writing of the children's stories that you write that you've had the opportunity to learn things as well and to to sort of exercise that sort of knowledge acquisition that that you've then put into those stories and um, because obviously you're an author not a dietitian or a dentist or a so, so is that a nice opportunity for you to be able to learn things too oh it's fabulous i've learned so much doing these books i really have and um and and i'm in great have great admiration for all the consultants who've worked with me the pediatric consultants and with the hand washing one i worked with um some with a professor at the school of hygiene and tropical medicine and to see the research they've done the work they've done the figures they've they've found and you know how they've helped people all over the world with what they do is incredible and it's yeah and what i love doing is simplifying i mean i have to take in masses of information and then simplify it down into a story which i find um wonderful i love doing it that is kind of a double challenge of not only um taking in information but then translating it simplifying it making it rhyme making it work getting the pictures right getting alex the illustrator involved and then turning it into a book, oh, it's fantastic. It's given me a whole new way of life and introduced, and also because I'm publishing the books myself, I've also doing the marketing and the sales and the um, running around the country, going to um, exhibitions and events to like the childcare expo and nursery world show to try and 
let people know that the books exist. And it's been wonderful. That whole, you know, a whole new life in the last six years since I've been doing them, while still writing all my other stuff. Tips, have you got any tips for, um, at the moment, we've got obviously a lot of parents who have their children at home rather than them being in early years education um, or primary school. Um, and there's a lot of parents struggling to translate um, schoolwork or different bits of, of stuff that their children should be learning or that they feel like their children should be learning um, into stuff that they can do with them at home. Do you have any tips in, in ways that they can do that, translate bits of learning into something that is simple and nice for children to, to do? It, it's hard to for all of us to change our usual behaviour, to be cut off from the people we're usually with. And it can be causing um, real anxiety that the kids can't express that well. And I think you have to be very careful at this time not to make them feel uh, bad or useless or, you know, that they're not achieving. They will have time to catch up eventually. I think I think they just need a lot of um, a lot of love, really. Um, now if they're being you know they're being told not to socialize with their friends which is so natural that when they're little if they go for a walk with their parents sometimes they'll see one of their friends and want to run over and they can't that's really hard for a child to know why so when they're back at home um yeah just give them lots of fun as we all did when we kids you're learning all the time and cooking is a good one, you know, just messing around in the kitchen, helping, helping you do something, even even if they're just making a mess beside you, can make them feel uh, useful. If you wanted to bring in maths into something like that, then getting them to weigh ingredients or, you know, what, what does that say in terms of the numbers? Ooh, 400 or, you know, that then that, you can make that into an educational activity when actually it's just fun yeah yeah i think that's great that is one of the best ways yeah everything they're doing can have a little bit of maths you know even if they're playing with lego they can count the pieces and um so you've mentioned that you're writing uh young adult fiction at the moment um which is different to the <laughs> that you've written um what's it been like putting yourself into the headspace of a teenager um well, actually, the one I'm writing, the young adult book that I've just finished writing is about a princess at the time of Marco Polo. So much of my much of my um, writing has always been related, linked to research. So when I did the game books for my son when he was seven to nine, it was um, it was a lot of information. It, it was a way of making Where's Wally educational by being round the one of them was called Around the World Adventure. Another one was an adventure through time, going back in time, where you had to find things and learn history at the same time as you did the game. So while I was doing that book, I came across a princess at the time of Marco Polo um, in the 13th century, who, who accompanied him on his return journey from the court of Kublai Khan. And I was fascinated by her. So for years, ever since that, for about 20 years, I've been on and off researching this princess and this journey. I even went to Mongolia to see what it was like to live in a 
a Gur or a Yurt because she was a Mongolian princess. So my story is her story. So it's a mixture of, yes, it's fascinating being young again, going on your travels, but in a way that is so different from the way that, um, that our young people go on their gap years now. That's what fascinated me, that this girl, age 17 in the 13th century, went on an amazing journey with one of the first explorers and what would it have been like and how could she cope with it and that's the story I've written yeah that's exciting and actually that that reminds me in terms of talking we were talking about um adults who maybe are a little bit guilt feeling a bit guilty about reading a book for fun um one of my favorite books is a book by the author and um, Victoria Hislop um yes. who writes amazing stories um from history um so she started writing because she visited a leper colony in greece called spinalonga which was one of the last ever leper colonies um and and her stories tend to be in that real world from the past um so maybe actually it's the same for grown-ups and we can read stories from these areas of history and, and submerse ourselves in all of these old worlds but not feel quite as guilty because we are still learning things about the world and how it used to be um so it's yeah pure escapism we are also learning by accident the same as that we sort of encourage children to yeah i think that's great and it's good it's it we do learn we go back and we can then appreciate both appreciate what we've got now but also you can realise what it was like in the past. That's fascinating to see how they did it and what they did. What about tips for people who are sort of um, trying to encourage children to, to write stories? Um, how can we encourage you? You, know, you see, you, you go in and you teach some creative writing for children. Um, what are the sort of common barriers to children being able to create their own worlds? they're just shy I suppose they haven't thought they haven't let go maybe they're nervous that they'll be told what they say is wrong whereas there's nothing wrong when you write a story everything is fine if you want to get a child going you can just bring hide something in a bag or in a box hide a few things in a box ask them to take one object out and ask them you know what what they see could they describe it and then say you know where might it have been even if it's just a stone or a or um, a flower or a or one or a brooch that might have belonged to someone any little thing and just get them and if you if you make it a secret box they'll get really excited and they won't know what they're going to find then when they find it they'll be so happy that they can start maybe writing about it and just say write anything you want just don't feel you've got to have a beginning and an end and your spelling's got to be right and everything else has got to be right. Just, or even just get them to talk and be your, be their scribe. So if if, if a child will, won't write, but will talk about what they can see and the parent writes it down and reads it back to them, they'll realize it's their story and they can write. So that will help them to, um, to realise they can make up stories if they're the kind of child who can't. Now, some kids are wonderful. They can imagine amazing things, but they can't write it down. So again, their, their imagination is much more advanced than their writing skills. I think most people do have a fantasy world and an imagination, which is there. Um, yeah, and actually, you're right in that um, 
the way that you write books and the way that children are maybe going to write things about stuff that they know. And um, if you've got older children, it might be that it's actually a case of doing some research into a place or something in history. And rather than writing an essay about the time where we discovered pasteurization and all of that, <laughs> but actually you might want to write the story of Louis Pasteur and how he discovered those things and write that from more of a a fictionalised point of view but still using all of that research and those facts to to make that thing it's talking to you um it's really nice to sort of think of different ways that people of all ages can engage in sort of communicating what it is that they've learned or, or proving their knowledge um through a much more fun medium than they might have been doing if they were still at school yeah I think that's great. Yeah, if they can do that, even any age, yes, as you say, any age, some children will love absorbing facts and writing um, factual pieces of work. Others, but then, yeah, to turn it into stories would be great if they all started doing it at different ages, because that's what I found so wonderful in my writing, absorbing information and then translating it into many different ways. It's, it's nice thinking about ways that children's stories can make such a difference um, to the current circumstances, you know, when, when people are stuck at home, it's quite a nice way of people connecting together. Um, how about um, the community that sort of springs up? Obviously, um, at the moment, um, you're not going to be doing school visits, but is there something in that collective reading of children's stories, so in primary school settings and nursery settings, reading a book to a group of children and all of those children sort of enjoying that same story in the same way that grown-ups have book clubs often because it's nice to read things and then talk about them afterwards. Um, have you experienced much of that sense of community in reading amongst children? I think that's a great idea you've come up with. I think maybe groups of parents you know like like you say the adult book clubs we've i'm i'm in a book group and we've been doing it with zoom but to do it with a group of children would be a good idea i know people are doing um storytelling times and telling people you know switch on at this time and i'll be reading a book but i think the idea that the children say seven and eight year olds nine ten year olds could all be reading the same book that would be really good i wasn't sure how well sort of children engage in that sort of way sort of pre-pandemic um i know that obviously you said that you go in and you you, you go into schools and that you'll often get children who who come up and interact with you and um, i was wondering whether you could speak on sort of whether that is generally the sort of same idea that they having that story read to them in school gives them that generally that sense of, of community and have all read something together and being able to to talk about it as a, as a group yeah i think it does create a nice community feeling and then they want they often well like in world book week which was just before um this all happened I visited six schools and I was reading, um, I was talking about being an author just as we are now and also reading because I saw mostly very young children. So I was reading the Dinosaur Douglas books and afterwards they all wanted to have a copy and read a copy and talk about it and get it home to their mums. So it does make them feel, especially if an author comes in, I think 
children who get very excited about someone other than their usual teacher bringing something in and bringing something new and showing them how it was done. And then the older children would ask um, lots of questions about how it is to be an author and, you know, to learn out, learn about the world of publishing and how to, how many people, you know, people are always very surprised at the number of people involved in producing a book. Because at first, if you say, how many people do you think were involved? They'll say, oh, two, the author and the illustrator. But of course, in publishing, there can be up to about 15 people involved in producing a book. It definitely creates a wonderful sense of community to have them all following it up with conversations about what's happened and what they've experienced together through reading. Yeah, I suppose that also leads to conversations about the actual subject matter. So, for example, the Dinosaur Douglas books all have a, a theme around that sort of health-related bit. Um, so, as well as there being that sense of community, just in terms of them all having read the same book and experienced the same experience, um, they can also then talk about the issues that are raised in that piece of children's literature as well, can't they? Oh, yeah, yes, yes. and. Um... In one school, when I took in the one about teeth, Dinosaur Douglas and the Beastly Bugs, the teachers, they all made dinosaurs and they all pretended it was a dentist surgery. <laughs> and they had them um, all, you know, and they had made little teeth and they, they made a whole week, I think they did a week's work about teeth, which was great. And they did the same with the one about healthy eating, Dinosaur Douglas and the Rumble Grumble Tum. They did the same sort of thing with all the food that he might have eaten and what he should have eaten and he shouldn't have eaten and then discussed all the healthy food that they should try and eat all the time and looked at their uh, packed lunches and talked about what was in it and all this. So yes, by having the books as a starting point, lots of discussions take place afterwards. Excellent. Um, I'm just keeping an eye because um, we have been talking for, for a while now. Um, and I was wondering whether it might be a good opportunity to sort of tell people where they can find you if they wanted to, to, to find out more um, or look at the different um, books that you've written or sort of look at different ways of exploring things with their children. Where can people find you? Uh, you can either do www.dinosaurdouglas.com or www.heathermaisner.com. It takes you to the same place. Uh, and you can see all the books I've written. We'll have a link to your website in the show notes. So anyone who's listened to the podcast, if you have a look at the written introduction as to, to what the podcast is today, you'll see a link to Heather's website in there. And if you click on that, it'll take you straight to Heather's website so that you can have a look at all of that stuff. Did you want to end by reading one of one of your books um, to anyone listening? Yes. OK, I'd love to read you Dinosaur Douglas and the Yucky Mucky Finger. Thanks, Heather. Stay tuned for Dinosaur Douglas and the Yucky Mucky Fingers after we say our goodbyes. Thank you so much for your time this morning. It's been really, really lovely talking to you. Um, this would be great if this could be my whole day, but unfortunately, I do have more boring things that I also need to do. Don't forget, if you've got some best practice or you'd like to share with us um, something great, um, you can get in touch with us at alumni at cash.org.uk. That's alumni, A-L-U-M-N-I, at cash, C-A-C-H-E for echo, dot org dot uk, and we'd love to speak to you. 
You can find us at the Cash Alumni website at www.cashalumni.org.uk or through the main Cash website for information about qualifications and other CPD at www.cachevecho.org.uk. Thanks very much and until next time, take care. Here's Heather Mesner with Dinosaur Douglas and the Yucky Mucky Fingers. Dinosaur Douglas rolled in the dirt, grazed his elbow, ripped his shirt, rubbed the scratches, licked his fingers, ran indoors to eat his dinner. Mum called out, did you wash your hands? Yes, he said, but he hadn't. And the bugs danced over his fingers. Dinosaur Douglas planted seeds, stood in mud up to his knees, caught a beetle, put it back, ran indoors to have a snack. Mum called out, did you wash your hands? Yes, he said, but he hadn't. And the bugs danced over his fingers. Dinosaur Douglas took off his shoes, ran to the loo, did a big poo, rubbed an eye that irritated, squeezed and picked his nose, then ate it. Mum called out, did you wash your hands? Yes, he said, but he hadn't. And the bugs danced over his fingers. Dinosaur Douglas had a sleepover with his dinosaur friends, Kate and Rover. They played outside, dug through a ball. The bugs on him began to crawl onto the ball. So when he threw it, they landed on Kate, who never knew it. She threw the ball across to Rover. The bugs were happy, crawling over the dinos' faces and their hands, singing, jumping, ready to land on plates of food and into drinks before the dinos could even blink. Up their noses, into their eyes, little by little they wriggled inside. Through open jaws they slithered fast, skipping, giggling and floating past, wet tongues and down dark throats on bits of food like little boats. The dinos licked their fingers, sucked their thumbs, the bugs swam down into their tums. Through their bodies, see them go, exploring the dinos from head to toe. They had a party multiplied, snug and warm in the dinos' insides. Next day, Doug woke up feeling ill. Rover moaned, I've caught a chill. Me too, said Kate, my tummy aches. Perhaps it's something that we ate. It is, said Dog, and not just that. You spread the bugs on all you touched. You passed them on to one another. And because you did not bother to wash your hands or scrub your fingers, you swallowed bugs in your drinks and dinners. Raising eyebrows, looking grim, Doc gave each dino medicine. He told them with a serious frown, the bugs you know are all around on toys and pets and in the air, on handrail, mobile, desk and chair, causing coughs and colds and aches when washing hands is all it takes to clean those dirty bugs away. Remember, invisible bugs are everywhere, which means you really must take care. Before you eat and after the loo, this is what you have to do. Place soap on hands and rub, 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 under your fingernails, scrub, scrub, scrub. Then rinse away the soapy suds and dry your hands to kill the bugs. <laughs>